Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money in Investing show. This week we are looking at black energy. You've probably heard of green energy. This is the opposite. And uh, we're going to be diving into some of the challenges facing markets right now and the yin and yang effect, if you will, of investing in one asset class versus another. Plenty of discussion points to take out of this. Look forward to seeing you in the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my co-host and offsider, Mitchell Laurentiel. Thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. And despite the fact we've both got a white shirt on today, nicely dressed, by the way. Thank you. We're going to talk about the topic of black energy, Mm. a rather stark contrast to what most people would expect we're about to talk about, but Mm. one of your expert topics, so let's hear it. Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess black energy is the the opposite of green energy. We've talked quite considerably about green energy over time and ESG and, and various things in that space. Black energy front and center at the moment. Uh, yeah, we have a global energy crisis as we're all seeing as we fill up our cars with fuel. Uh, in the case of Australia, particularly on the East Coast, we're having power blackouts and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the old world of hydrocarbon burning black stuff, whether it's coal or oil to generate energy, it's a, it's a, it's a huge area and one that's, um, a ripe uh, playing field, I think, for some trading opportunities and some understanding as to the issues this is creating on the global economy. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it was only a couple of weeks ago, the SA Premier was talking about cutting off uh, the East Coast energy supply and, and us having a blackout, which is an interesting situation when you consider that we should have plenty of resources here yeah, in Australia, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And don't forget, of course, South Australia is the capital state for uh, power blackouts. It's got a terrific uh, track record over the years for there not having enough energy. But yeah, it's an interesting one. So yeah, one of the big news stories I saw uh, come out, uh, Mount, uh, Mount Arthur, which is the largest thermal coal mine in Australia down mm-hmm. in the Hunter Valley, it's owned by BA. HP, um, they're closing it. Closing it early. It's very profitable though, right? It is very profitable. Thermal coal that it produces, world-class, world-quality, uh, you know, top-of-the-range thermal coal, um, which is going for you know absolute price in terms of its price right now, and yet they're shutting it early. And, and I think, yeah, this is an interesting one. And I mean, you look at the balance up between, uh, you know, we've just had an election uh, where the Greens picked up a little bit more vote. This is a really interesting conversation to kind of break apart, and I suspect maybe a little bit controversial. Um Here you've got a product which is highly profitable for BHP that is in massive demand. We'll talk about the demand for it in a moment. Yet the company is closing that facility down. They look for a buyer. They couldn't find a buyer because, you know, buying coal assets right now is a a pretty unloved friend to try and try and get that sale away. so yeah, they're closing it early. Coal represents about ten percent of BHP's revenue. So it's, I mean, you know, yeah, it's only ten percent, but BHP is a colossal organisation. So a big amount of money. It's billions and billions of dollars. But I guess the conclusion that their board have arrived at is that it's just not worth the hassle for ten percent. Um, yet what you have is a world class product uh, that will be stopped being. Uh, mind and and people with an environmental bias will be very happy to hear that 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 coal is not being pulled out the ground and being burnt. The, the challenge on the other side of the equation is that if you look around the world at the volume of new power stations being built, so for example, coal-fired power stations, there are 95 new coal-fired power stations currently under construction in China to add to the 200 that are already there. Um, you've got, uh, what is it, 23 in India or 28 in India. And 23 another, in Indonesia. 23 in Indonesia, another 28 in India being built, brand new coal-fired power stations. And if you are going down the coal-fired route, the best thing you can possibly burn, if it's coal that you're burning, and we all know and we all agree that burning coal for energy is not great. Has to uh, be done though, it, right? It, it is high-quality Australian thermal coal. Uh, because it leaves less pollutants, because it burns at a higher temperature, uh, it burns out the pollutants a lot more. Uh, and without that um, high quality thermal coal 
um, use in power stations, oftentimes energy companies will use what's called brown coal. It's got a lower carbon content, doesn't burn as hot and emits more sulfur and various other things. It's actually worse for the environment burning. It's about the worst thing you can burn, brown coal. Um, so BHP will be closing, you know, the world's best source of thermal coal, which there's a demand for, for all these new power stations that are coming online um, through the subcontinent and through China, and it's being shut. Okay, so other than the social ramifications of the uprising of the uh, of the greens, why else would you do it? A couple of thousand jobs. Uh, it's not worth the PR from BHP's perspective as an organisation, but you know it hasn't fixed the problem. And this, unfortunately, can often be the case when you look at green energy in one column and it's very much a yin and yang i guess yin and yang are black and white we should have green and black and it would be kind of the same parallel wouldn't it um there's always a trade-off for something that you're going to do and we'll get into some of those uh, in just a few moments time so you may well say we're doing the right thing we're stopping mining coal in australia the flip side of that argument is that these new, these coal-fired power stations, which are still being built and will be used for the next 20, 30, 50 years, will have to result in using a worse quality kind of coal to burn, which is far worse for the environment long term. So is it a win or is it just going, in this column it looks like a win, but the loss is actually carried over to this column, which is a world where there's more brown coal being burnt to generate power probably not the good outcome that it looks like. So how does that fare well for a company, for example, like Glencore, for example? Well, Glencore's gone kind of the other way around. They, they picked up some of BHP's coal assets in Colombia. Uh, anyone that's not been to Colombia is a beautiful country. I've spent a fair bit of time down there. It's a really, really interesting culture, great place. Um, there's also quite a substantial coal business there, and they've been able to pick up BHP's coal assets for a premium. Glencore, I think at one point, and I, I met whether this was a bit of brinksmanship uh, to get a better deal, I don't know, looked to turn in their, their license to mine coal there in the Colombia government have said no we're not taking a license back you can mine it um so very very different attitude uh there um in, in terms of that but that's good for glencore it's been very good for its share price it's managed to bag you know quite a considerable windfall gain from doing that and again this isn't about putting profit ahead of the environment it's just a statement of what's actually transpired there and again i go back to the fact that Great that BHP is not mining coal in Australia, good for the Australian environment, but we're in a global environment that we live in and you're going to see a worse global environment because of it, because brown coal will be burnt instead of thermal coal at all of the new power stations that are being built. Every action has a reaction, that's for sure. Well, again, like, you know, <laughs> you take hydroelectric power, for example, which, you know, China's been the vanguard of with, you know, things like the Three Gorge uh, Dam project. And here we are 20 years later uh, um, and what was a reliance on hydroelectric power instead of burning coal um, is now a natural disaster in the making whereby you've got 70 or 80 million people downstream uh, actually this is a different dam project that that now don't have any water because of there's been droughts and it's all being held back in the dams you know in the case of the three gorge project there's a there's substantial risk that the dam structurally may give way and all sorts of different things like that so again you've taken something which on one metric looks like a good fix but if you're someone that lives downstream and you've got no water so you can't have any farming you can't feed your family you've got no water to drink uh, and you're now living in a desert because somebody's got green energy is that really an environmental fix? And it probably isn't. It's just moving the problem from one column to another going, hey, we fixed this, but this is the consequence from it. Well, funnily enough, AB, we've actually discussed this exact philosophy in one of our older podcasts. Any of our listeners go back season two, 
episode five, investing in lithium, (laughs) where we spoke about, yes, the uses of lithium and lithium batteries is awesome, but nonetheless, Mm. the process to get it to that point actually not so green after all yeah that, that, that's right i forgot we, we we did that was a that was a that was a while back too wasn't it 18 months of february 2021 i reckon time flies it there does. You go. your memory's better than mine um yeah i mean you know again the, the 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 move towards electric vehicles and the requirement for lithium battery technology in there is an admirable move definitely helps with not burning fuel in a car to get around the joint um however the flip side of that, the production process for lithium, as you say, there's two ways of doing it. You either roast it using coal, in which case you need to burn coal, which is not good, and 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 lots of it, I might add, in order to to dry the lithium out to make it into battery form, or you use the desalination process, which is used in South America. It's actually in the Atacama Desert, one of the driest places in the world, where they need to use water to get the uh, evaporation process going. So either way, it's an environmental catastrophe producing lithium, but lithium is the great saver. Electric cars are far better than than, than, than petrol-driven cars. So here's an interesting one. It'd be interesting what people's thoughts are on this in terms of, we could get this going in our chat maybe. Yeah, yeah, let's let's get it. a questionnaire there about cars, whether you're petrol, diesel, or electric or hybrid or hybrid yep comment below in if yeah, you're watching this be interesting to see see what's there so yeah that process of using lithium yes it, it, it perhaps it is the way forward but it is at a cost nothing is is free in that regard so we've talked about hydroelectric and lithium as as two of the savers wind farming is another one i've been actually looking at this quite yes. extensively uh, as a personal personal project of mine and, and and if you listen to this thinking like this guy's just got no no appreciation for the environment i am I, I've, I've got an organic farm uh, and one of my side projects at the moment is looking at uh, you know, helping recycling within the decommissioning of wind farms Mm-hmm. Because the big issue with wind farms are these enormous fiberglass propellants, which can't be broken down and used for anything. It can't be recycled, so they end up burying them in the ground in landfill at the moment. And looking at different ways, as a company in the States we're talking to at the moment about doing something in that area. Um, but, you know, there's another one where you've got an environmentally sound solution on the surface, but there are ramifications down the line. Don't get me wrong, you know, burying some fiberglass um, propellers in the ground versus, you know, spewing out pollutants for 20 years is probably a slightly more positive trade-off, but then making fiberglass probably isn't the greenest process either. So, I mean, again, there's, there's, there's always that trade-off as you go through. So, yeah, interesting times. Okay, so what about if we talk about oil, AB, and what about oil in the US mm. in particular? But oil is another interesting one. And again, you know, black energy, public enemy number one, um, you know, we can't have as much reliance on oil. And even Joe Biden uh, came out the other day. I noticed he fell off his bike the other day. So obviously Did he's he? trying not to use too much. Yeah, yeah, he fell off his push bike. I'm not surprised at that yeah. age. I'm surprised he got on it, but there we go. That's a good point, even better. <laughs> he got on it the right way around. <laughs> um, and so one of the things he was talking about was that U.S. oil companies, it's not patriotic to be selling oil at the price they are. And I think there's a few factors at play here. Number one, oil prices are a global commodity price. It's not set in the U.S. It's actually set by OPEC. So that's just a point of clarity for, for Sleepy Joe there. But uh, putting that to the side for a moment, um, yes, oil prices obviously have gone berserk um, for a number of reasons. OPEC playing hardball in terms of production. You've got Russia taken out of the equation. Also, the Ukraine supply of hydrocarbons, all that sort of stuff going on, which we've, we've spoken of previously. Well, the biggest challenge is actually in refiner margins. So when you take crude oil, or in the case of America, West Texas Intermediate, which is a, a light sour crude that comes out of that is the standard contract in the US, there's a refining process, the distillate process for taking it from being crude oil to all the different distillates we have, aviation fuel, diesel, petrol, uh, and, and, and so on and so forth on the way through. Now, in the US, there hasn't been a new construction 
of an oil refinery for a couple of decades, and there are none, there are none in the pipeline being built. They might go, okay, well, that, that's a good thing from an environmental perspective. Let's face it, an oil refinery probably isn't the best thing uh, to have for the environment. However, what you've got is a situation where you've got aging infrastructure which doesn't have any ability to increase capacity. So as a consequence, if you've got no new capacity but strong demand, prices, refiner margins have to move up. It's a natural effect of markets. And that's also a big factor in the US driving fuel prices higher. So you're looking at six bucks a gallon uh, in California now. Um, and, and, and this is a very real drag on an economy that's just about to slide into recession based on weaker consumer activity, uh, rampant inflation and so on. And, and there's no end in sight for that. And, and, and I guess part of the reason why there's been no investment in, in the refining space is that if you're a company that does that, if you're a refiner and you're looking and going, okay, in then there's a lead time to build an oil refinery. It doesn't take five minutes. It's probably a 20-year project. Um, you say, okay, in 20, 30, 40 years' time, what is the legislation going to look like for a company operating an oil refinery? And in today's world where there's a very strong environmental focus and a, and, and a, a very strong desire to see less hydrocarbon, black energy being used, um, then then why would I want to run the commercial risk of spending hundreds of billions to build an oil refinery that could easily be snuffed out with a change in legislation? Uh, and, and so as a company, there's a commercial risk associated with it. And in just the same way on a smaller scale, here in Australia, we've seen our power companies not want to invest in coal-fired power, even though we've got you know, the world's best coal on hand that's now being closed uh, in terms of uh, Mount Arthur. Um, there's been no desire there to build new coal-fired power stations because, again, you don't know where the legislation is going to be. And now the ramifications of that we're seeing are old infrastructure that's breaking down. There's a fire at one at the moment. Uh, there's been intermittent service. The grid's gone down. Like All of this is a consequence of that lack of investment in infrastructure. So if we take green energy seriously, Yes, it is the future and it needs to be has, have its own level of work done to ensure that it's good quality green energy rather than green washed energy, I suppose. But it needs to be up and running and demonstrable and commercial and reliable before you can decommission the bad stuff. You can't say, well, we're going to gradually just wind all that back and not invest in it. And then hopefully sometime in the future, there's this take up of, of green sourced energy that can reliably fulfill that shortfall. It's a challenge, isn't it? It's a huge one. And, and, and given the political landscape that we're in, and again, you know, uh, we need to be better at what we do in the environment. We, we, it doesn't matter how many houses you have, we have one home and that's our planet. So we have to be better at what we do in terms of looking after and curating the future of that for our, for our kids and our grandkids and so on. That's, that's a given. And it needs a more thorough look, I think, in terms of you know, what we're doing and how the ramifications of short-term greenification is and what the longer term impacts are that a la you know the three gorge dam project or the hydroelectric stuff where downstream it's a disaster where there's just simply no water for people because they're holding it back or if you're using lithium ion batteries well what's the process for creating that lithium it's it may be marginally better than burning coal at a power station but you've got to burn coal anyway to produce it so you almost go around in this virtuous circle where you're kind of kidding yourself so yeah it does require a little bit of a hard look and i'm sure we'll get some comments to this and i hope we do this is a discussion piece there are great opportunities for investment 
within all of this. Um, you know, if you take the play of Glencore versus BHP, the two big miners of the world, you know, BHP's decision at a board level to to, to exit the coal space, which is is a very strongly dictated mandate that it's going down the path of, will come at some level of commercial cost to its shareholders. Absolutely. And Glencore's already reaping the benefits from that. At the same time, it's got a clear conscience on on the other side of the ledger saying, well, we're not involved with the coal industry. But environment and and, and taking an environmental stance uh, and having a a, a clear conscience is a global challenge. It doesn't matter what we do here in Australia if the world's second largest economy goes and knocks out another 95 coal-fired power stations in a country already that's not exactly renowned for its emission standards. So, you know, it's almost just moving the, 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 the chairs around on the deck of the Titanic. Any move that's good for the environment has to be a good thing. But BHP closing that mine and, 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 and the consequences of that, maybe an increased uptake in brown coal burning, which is just about as bad as you can have at these new coal-fired power stations that are coming through, is actually a worse outcome. And so if you're an activist investor and you're sitting on the board of a company, and that's a huge thing for public companies now, is the the significant impact, I suppose, activist investors can have. Uh, and and that's, a, that's not a fringe thing anymore. It's much more mainstream, as we've discussed previously. ESG is a mainstream uh, part of the world. Um, you know, placating the demands of that particular group can come at a for, far more significant cost to people outside of that group. And I'm not talking about other shareholders. I'm talking about other people on the planet that were the consequences of it. So the action is, we've made this company green. Aren't we good? But what we've done is created a higher sulfur emission by burning brown coal instead. Not so good. Is that a one for one trade-off? I'm not so sure. And I guess our listeners can work that out for themselves. Yeah, it's almost a handball off to, to someone else, isn't it really? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like if you if you have cash and you make a donation to charity, you've got a clear conscience that you felt that you've done something good. But then if you do bad things outside of that donation, it's just your that's your that's your atonement, if you will, is making that donation. It doesn't make net net for a better situation. It's you know, the same or worse. And, you know, this is this is unfortunately the problem that we have. And and there are so many great forms of energy that we can tap into. Obviously, solar, wind are two. Um, hydroelectric potentially can be. And we've seen that work with great effect in Australia with the Snow River Project. But at the same time, you know, there are consequences to doing that on a, on a more aggressive scale as we've seen in China. And, and, and also, let's face it, the US isn't without being in the spotlight with this. If you look at the Hoover Dam in Lake Mead, I don't know if you've been to, you haven't been to Las Vegas yet, have you? Once when I was a kid, Once when you couldn't have any fun there. It though. would be very different. You can be a big was, kid there, so yeah, it would be very so. different. There. If you take the opportunity to go out to to Lake Mead, which is probably only about 20, 25 minutes away from Las Vegas, that that's the I think it's the second or third largest lake in the world. That's where the Hoover Dam is. Um, yeah, and you've got the Colorado River running in there, and, it, and it's incredible. It's it, the scale of things, except for it's, it's only got about 25% of the water in it that it had 10 years ago because the U.S. has been in the uh, the midst of a drought. So what do you do? You want to keep the power station going because that's responsible for the electricity for probably six or eight million people. You also need the water going through as well because you you need it for the farming community that relies on that water as it goes through the Hoover Hoover system. It's an, it is an amazing thing to see, truly. Um, however, you don't have the water to put through it. So what do you do? 
So, you know, it's, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's such a difficult situation and with climate change that we have, arguably because of all the pollutants that have gone into the, uh, you know, the, the environment over time, you know, it's, it's cause for us to have a real look at this. What the actual answer is, is beyond my skill set. I'm a simple man, but certainly I can trade around this and, uh, and, and sort of see the, 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 the logic and argument on both sides of it. And it's a very, very difficult one. It's not a divisive one because ultimately it's, it's, we all have the same home. We've got to do what we've got to do to look after it. But sometimes in our efforts, to look after it, we actually cause more damage than we think. AB, to finish off for today's broadcast, if you're a trader or investor, what are you doing right now to take advantage of this or protect yourself? Look, I think um, that's a really good question. And I mean, I've been trading the black energy space quite heavily uh, and, and there's no moral frame on this. Um, I've been trading you know, XLE, which is the global energy ETF, USO, which is the US oil ETF, UNG, which is a natural gas ETF on the basis of the price moves that we've been seeing there. Um, and, and it's been stratospheric in terms of the growth that we've seen in those particular instruments. Uh, but, but my mandate is to find quality trading opportunities for our clients and, and, and for me and my family, I suppose, to, to provide for them. Is there an environmental consequence to that? I don't necessarily know that there is because they're going to exist whether I invest in them or not. In just the same way, whether BHP digs thermal coal out of the ground or not, there's an environmental impact of coal being burnt. You just go to a different source. So, yeah, that's something I've been in. If you, if you, if you want an ESG focus, you know, stocks like, uh, and this is very tricky and I'd advocate going back through that. Um, the RARI is the ETF. Rari, there you go. There's a, there's one ETF for you to have a look at. The shoes ETF. Yeah, um, the, the the interview I did with James Harwood from Russell on on um, ESG investing is definitely worth a look. That's in this series, and also we've talked about uh, this to a, an extent too. Um, you know, if you look at say Woolworths as a business, and this isn't pillaring Woolworths by any stretch of the imagination, Woolworths as a business sold off Endeavour, which is its, its grog business because it didn't meet its ESG mandate. Now, it doesn't mean to say people aren't going to buy alcohol; they just buy it directly through the same place it's just owned by different companies so you've carved off um, that element of the business interesting enough Endeavor's share price has gone through the roof wars it's fallen um, but that's that's just an observation but at the same time, it's very, very hard to see Woolworths as an environmentally sound business. Now it doesn't sell alcohol because it's probably one of the second or third biggest retailers of tobacco in Australia. So, you know, this notion of greenwashing and getting your head through this is, is really quite challenging. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see, um, you know, we were all over this back in 2006, 7, 8, 9 with Babcock and Brown, Babcock and Brown Win, Babcock and Brown Power, which were some of the environmental plays that they were working on. Those businesses sadly aren't around anymore. Um, but nonetheless, that's how long ago this sort of stuff was in play. And we were very active in, in both the listing of those businesses and investing in them. So, you know, we've got a uh, an appetite for that type of investing, but it's how you how you traverse the intricacies. It, it is a yin and a yang. You're going to get it bang on on one side, and there'll be a penalty to pay on the other. And I guess that's the uh, that's where you get paid the big bucks. Absolutely. Thank you very much, AB. Great advice. Pleasure. Anytime. There you have it, guys. Make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll look forward to hosting you next week.